It's Monday, August 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. You too. Howdy. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like Jakarta out there. It's just like swampy, and I'm, I'm just <laughs> waiting for the clouds to open up. It is a bit. And, and relieve us. Although, I mean, watching football last night, it's just a, a harbinger of things to come, right? I mean, we have fall on the way. I mean, I. I you know, it's a state of mind almost. I think as long as you feel like it's coming, you, you can really make you. You can start feeling a little bit better. Out You're saying as long as I feel like it's cooler outside and less humid, I'm good. Mine is a feel the, you feel thing. the breeze. <laughs> uh, we are going to look at some luxury retail. We're going to look at a couple of deals in the sports world, but let's start with the story of the day, and that is Warren Buffett finally bagged his elephant, which he's been talking about for a couple of years. Buffett saying, I've still got my elephant gun, I'm still looking to make a big deal. And we've got it, because Berkshire Hathaway is buying Precision Cast Parts, which is an aviation and energy uh, industry parts maker, for more than $37 billion in cash. And Taylor, this is the biggest deal ever by Berkshire Hathaway, Mm -hmm. and that's saying something. Because they've pulled off some massive, they, you know, just think back to the Burlington Northern what was deal, that, twenty-six, billion? twenty, just north of twenty-six yeah. billion dollars. And back then, five years ago, people were just marveling at the size of the check that was stroked there. Now more than thirty-seven billion. Well, if this turns out the same way, I mean, the payback period wasn't too long on Burlington Northern. Um, knowing him, it's probably a long-term bet, but I have. Some near-term worries. It is seventy uh, percent comes from the aerospace business in terms of the the parts that they're providing, but you've seen a ton of capacity growth in the airline industry, at least in the passenger jet um, side of things. And some of the airline CEOs are coming out a little nervous about the capacity growth that's been going on industry-wide. Um, as you can see in Boeing, I think Boeing and Airbus they said ten thousand jets on backlog right now. So there's demand there, but. Those can be canceled if if things dry up. So um, while that's from the the competitive side of the the airline industry, um, parts suppliers might not be that 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 bad off. But then again, you have another maybe ten to fifteen percent from the oil and gas business here. So maybe this is a secret play on on the rebound. But people are saying that might not happen for another couple of years. I think it'll happen sooner. But um, there's some some tailwinds for the long term. But I think the the near term for this business. Investors might be like, "What the heck are you doing for the next year or two? Um, but it could pay off over the long run. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's just investors. I mean, if you look at the coverage today, um, uh, there are analysts out there sort of questioning this deal at this price. Mm-hmm. And as someone who doesn't own Berkshire Hathaway, I'm, you know, yeah, same. I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about this. Uh, I, I always like when there's some sort of a check. Mm-hmm. We saw this last Friday, or I guess last Thursday, when Planet Fitness went public, and <laughs> at $16 a Judgment share, zone, and, the, okay. and the stock went up $0.10 cents at the end of the day, up $0.10. Cents. So, I was like, well, that's nice that there's a little that we're not just going to rush out and buy any IPO. And by the same token, Jason, uh, part of me likes the fact that in the wake of other deals, most recently, I guess, sort of the Heinz deal, where people were standing up, quick to stand up and applaud mm-hmm. Buffett for these deals. Part of me kind of likes the fact that there are analysts saying, "Yeah, I'm not sure about this one." Yeah, I mean, I, I as a Berkshire shareholder, I mean, I, yeah, I I think, hey, let's not make this out to be more than it really is. I mean, this is not the deal of the century. It's obviously a great headline because it's a big acquisition. Um, it is it is a business that is very Berkshire-like. I mean, it is certainly something that will fit into that sort of 
model that Buffett's been building, Buffett Munger been building for so long. But I mean, PCP, you know, this is a very uh, cyclical, slow grower. You know, it's been a recommendation in Stock Advisor since 2008. Now, up to this point, it had done well. It had beaten the market by a small margin. So this deal obviously takes it over the top. Yeah, Investors it's up close to twenty percent well. today. Um, but but I mean again, this isn't one of those businesses that makes you makes you just scream, "Wow, what a, what a wonderful acquisition!" On this is going <laughs> to change the game, right? It doesn't change the game, but we we know that it's really difficult at this point in the game for Berkshire Hathaway to make acquisitions that change the game because it's so big, and we've talked about this a lot. So. Valuation aside, I mean, I don't, I don't think this is a deal that makes me, you know, jump up and scream for more. It's not one that makes me say, "Hey, Warren Buffett, hashtag WTF." Like, <laughs> I got to give a shout out to Brendan Matthews for that, by the way. That's that's pure Brendan. Um, I, it is what it is, and I think he he gives credit to Todd Combs for this deal because Todd Combs is the one who started building a position in this company back in 2012. I think it'll do very well as a Berkshire property. Well, and you know when you look at the stock performance, as you said, beating the market since first recommended in Stock Advisor. Although over the past year or so, this is a stock in part maybe not surprising Taylor due to the energy side mm-hmm. of the business and what we've seen with energy stocks over the last year. The stock has come down over the last 12 months. So, uh, you know, it, it may be something that Combs has had in his sights for a while. Mm-hmm. And given the drop in the stock, it's, hey, look, we're going to pay $37 billion for this, as opposed to maybe a year ago, they're paying somewhere in the mid-40s. Well, yeah, the, you look at the management from PCP, and they said that the oil space was supposed to be a growth market for them, and it was just bad timing in terms of entering that market, and then a short time thereafter, market sold off last November. So uh, it could return to that growth market that they're looking for, and maybe you're buying it at a better price now than when it had those growth prospects kind of baked in. If you are looking for more choices among luxury retail stocks, we have some good news. Neiman Marcus is going public later this year. What can go wrong? What could possibly go wrong. Uh, hitting us up on Twitter, at MarketFoolery is our handle. Uh, Craig Hammerberg, who writes, It'd be great to hear your thoughts on Neiman Marcus. Online sales seem pretty strong. They do seem pretty strong. 24% of mm-hmm. revenue last year? That's, yep. That is higher than I would have guessed for a... a a company like Neiman Marcus higher than probably most people would have guessed, and you know, I was I, I was speaking with Corey Kazar at the Dallas Business Journal with us last week regarding this IPO and sort Name of breaking dropper. this down. Well, you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta give uh, scratch credit the back, to people. Right? That, <laughs> um, I don't know that she's one of our dozens of listeners either, but I'll hit her up on Twitter and see if maybe I can't uh, get her to at least give us a try. Um, but yeah, I mean, I sort of broke this down to the pros and cons. I mean, as you said, the online business I think is robust. Twenty-four percent of all of, of overall sales is significant, I think, and, and it shows that they haven't been asleep at the wheel where that where that's concerned. And and I think that when you look at the luxury fashion market, and let's make sure to, to differentiate this from sort of the affordable luxury, because I I think there is this is not I think one of those Coach or Michael Kors stories. Um, but but the the global market here is is expected to grow from three hundred eight billion in two thousand and fifteen to three hundred fifty four billion dollars in sales by two thousand and nineteen. So globally speaking, this gives Neiman Marcus a small piece of the pie today and an opportunity to grow that that share. The 
you know, obviously enough enough worries or red flags or concerns here. I mean, number one, fashion retail is fickle. It's tough. Mm-hmm. In, in, in if we saw them go the way of discounting and or outlet stores and kind of doing that Michael Kors coach sort of thing, this this could really really go south fast. Um, leadership, I think, is, is an asset there. Um, Karen Katz has been the CEO for uh, five or so years now. I think Neiman Marcus has achieved twenty two consecutive quarters of positive. Uh, comparable revenue growth, and so I think that's that's significant. It's she's obviously doing something right. I will say that the proceeds of this IPO are going to go to pay down debt. We don't really yeah. ever really like that. That's, that's a sort red of flag. Container yeah. store, you know. Um, we always like to see the IPO proceeds go towards growth. Um, that's not going to be the case here. Who knows? I mean, you know, there's private equity interests at hand here that are, that are basically uh, you know going to benefit from this IPO, and as as a as an investor, I'd certainly it'll be one I think worth watching. But I would give this thing a couple of quarters to report and sort of see how they they're going to do in their in their new iteration as a public company. As I mentioned at the top, a couple of deals in the sports world. Uh, Under Armour announced a new deal with the NBA. They're going to be a multi-year partner uh, at the NBA Draft Combine, and Twitter announced a multi-year deal with the NFL, uh, whereby. They claim unique content, including video, is going to be distributed to Twitter users um, from the NFL and their sort of network properties. On balance, these seem like positive things, mm-hmm. Taylor. I look at these deals. I'm, a, I'm not a Twitter shareholder. I am an Under Armour shareholder. And I look at this and I think, okay, anytime you can align yourself with a major sport and want, particularly in the case of the NBA, mm-hmm. one that has sort of a great I would say probably a greater international appeal than the NFL does. I think that's a good thing. Of course, I don't know how much money is involved here. I don't know how yeah. much they're paying, but on the surface, I mean if you if you look at the just the the snapshot of both stocks being up a little bit today, it seems like getting a thumbs up from the market as well. Yeah, with Under Armour in particular, I think is a great deal. I mean, because the, they're going to be involved with the NBA youth programs. And they're talking about five million boys and girls between the ages of six to fourteen participating in just the next couple of years. That's grassroots marketing to these kids that are going to potentially be customers for the rest of their lives. So I think that that is exactly where you want to be as a as a growing brand, especially you know this is a company that's got the bright colors, the the fun the fun designs, and and it's it's performance apparel on top of that. So it's right in their wheelhouse. And then you're getting you know a lot of these college players have been wearing. The brands that their schools are sponsored by, Under Armour doesn't sponsor a lot of universities yet. They're getting into that, but you're going to have the best athletes in the NBA invited to this combine, and they're going to get to try out the best that Under Armour has to offer. And um, I think that's also a pretty important aspect to maybe signing some new, um, you know, players to to market for them or even just the players that don't necessarily deserve deals maybe they'll just wear the brand on their own on the court and i think that both of those are are key aspects for under armor here and jason we've talked about twitter and how twitter's got a couple of big events coming up next year with the presidential election here in the united states obviously the summer olympics uh, kind of smart that they're not waiting around and getting ready to um to Serve up, I guess, some unique content for the start of the NFL season. Yeah, I mean, I think this is significant on a number of fronts for both for both parties involved. It's a win-win. Um, you know, it's interesting to see that the NFL has gone from sort of a number of one-year deals with Twitter to now upping this to a two-year deal. I think that's a good sign, at least that they're seeing the value in being on that platform and 
you know, I, I think given the the real time nature of Twitter and being an NFL fan myself, I mean, I, I certainly saw a lot of value in 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 having access to Twitter during you know the football season last year. In in my my one gripe would be that it wasn't really as well organized as it could be, and I think that uh, you know Project Lightning is something up and coming here that will. Uh, you know, help sort of uh, make that experience better. When that drops, who knows? I will say that you know, Twitter has released a news tab on their mobile experience. I know not everybody has it. Um, I was fortunate enough to to update my phone and get it, and I find Power it to be user. a great step. Yeah, I mean, I find it to be a great step in the right direction because it is a good example of how you can just add one little tab there. To organize and curate content even even better, and so if that's just for news, then I mean, looking at all the different verticals where Twitter really participates and shines, I, I see this as being a certainly a, a, a big uh, a catalyst. You know, and I think that really for for football in general, I, I think you're absolutely right with the Under Armour deal in basketball. Basketball so international by by nature and and that's really huge there. Interestingly with Twitter and the NFL, the NFL is more domestic, right? We're more uh, you know, exposed to the NFL here as opposed to internationally speaking. And that's precisely where tw- where Twitter really needs to kind of uh, up its game. You know, domestic uh, users has really been flat over the past few quarters. And I think that between the the big events coming up on, on in in the next year and a half, this NFL deal with Project Lightning and and I honestly believe that they will in short order, have this leadership issue uh, straightened out. Um, I don't know if you saw that Chris Saka tweet storm last. I think it was last Friday, actually, but he kind of went on a little bit of a rampage where he just said, "Listen, here's what needs to happen," and and I think he made some great points. He believes Jack Dorsey needs to be the CEO. Uh, you need to bring Adam Bain into the mix there as an executive, form a new COO position. That's Adam Bain's job, and then you know take Jack off of the the board and bring Ev uh, Evan. To the board as the as the director there, and I think there there you have some founders involved really with the vision of the product. There's I mean a lot of reasons I think to be very optimistic about Twitter's future. It's more of a question of leadership than it's a question of the platform, and, and this NFL deal I think is a you know a good sign of things to come. You think Chris Sacca's rant had anything to do with the fact that Twitter shares have dropped about? Twenty percent in the last two weeks, even with today's bump. Well, possibly, but I will say, as as a shareholder <laughs> myself, and as someone who's who's obviously bullish on on the company, I think, and I've said it before. I mean, every day that they let go by without having this management situation resolved is just a total waste, and it's really, you know, I think it's an insult to to shareholders to not to not have it fixed because honestly, that's the one big roadblock for them. I think is actually having competent leadership in there. And um, and I, and I think it's almost just kind of so obvious. It's just staring us all right in the face to just you know get it done already and let's move forward. I don't remember a company with this high of a profile struggling to find leadership for as long as it really has. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, and you want them to get it right. I mean, anytime a company it doesn't matter. I mean, we're talking about Twitter. We could be talking about any company. I mean, any CEO transitions are tough to pull off, mm-hmm. and so obviously. You you don't want to see a hasty move just to get someone permanent in the corner office, mm-hmm. but yeah, this this does unlike for example, and, and this is an unfair comparison, but unlike what we saw with Google, where Google was looking for a new CFO and it took them about an hour and a half <laughs> to um, make a Godfather offer, and uh, you know, and they got this phenomenal CFO. To, to leave her longtime job on Wall Street and come over and start running things at Google, mm-hmm. immediately 
um, impressing people on the latest Google conference call. So, you know, I think probably part of what Twitter is dealing with is they're they're not able, they are not so successful, and their pockets are not so deep that they can blow someone away. They can't identify the person because you get. I mean, we we don't know how you know Google went about their CFO search. But my hunch is it went something like this. If we could get anyone in this country to be a CFO, who would it be? The pick of the litter. Oh, it's her? Yeah. Great. Go make her a godfather yeah. offer. Like Twitter can't do that with this. No, they can't. But I mean, I think they, they really don't need to. I think for, for Twitter's sake, they really need to have founders involved with leadership here because that, that's really what helps innovate and drive this, this platform forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, you look at something like Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. I mean, that is a phenomenal one two punch in the executive office. There between the founder of the platform and just a very astute, wonderfully driven leader there in Sheryl Sandberg. That is a great team, and I think that with Twitter, they could have potentially that dynamic with something like Jack and and Bain as as CEO and COO themselves. And you, you mentioned Google. Well, you, you still have the founders there, so they could they really yep. didn't need that influence. They could go out and just get the best business mind yep. they could find. Well, right, and in this yeah. case, it's Larry Page saying, you know what? Maybe if we got a CFO who could uh, help us, uh, sort of be a counterbalance yep. to all of the enthusiasm that we have at this company for the moonshots, and then they bring in Ruth Porat, and she's like, oh yeah, we'll 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 cut back some of this. Requirement thing. number one: you can't be a yes man or yes woman. You've right. got you've got to just. You've got to and that's what they got. counter us. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.